we're going to spend our time this morning, uh, for the balance of our time together, really uh, just kind of thinking through some practical issues and doing a Q&A with our elders. Uh, topic of the Q&A is, if I knew then what I know now. And I think it's just going to be a helpful time to get some perspective from some wise men who are a little bit older and more advanced than some of us. And so I think uh, that wasn't an offense, Brad. I'm sorry. He, he, he's back there shaking his head. Uh, but this should be a great time just to get some uh, life tips from some of our elders here at Mainstream. So if I can have Brad, you do have to come up. I'm sorry. Carlos and Herb, if you men can come on up, we'll get our Q&A situated and started. So, uh, so Rich and I were talking in the back, and I, I was reminding Rich, you know, We've been in mainstream since the beginning, since we were newly married. And so I, w I was trying to figure out exactly when we went from newly married to, like, the old but, uh So uh, but we've been sitting in that same place for 30 years or whatever. And I but, told uh, him that he's not old. He's just older than I am. So, well, now that I've got you all up here and uh, you can't get out of it, I I'm here to tell you that the name of this Q&A is actually this. there is safety. And these men, uh, despite our joking around here this morning, are very wise men. Uh, they have seen a lot of life and history, and they have a great deal of wisdom to share with all of us. And so I'm eager to uh, kind of put our thinking caps on here together this morning and learn what we can from them about life, ministry, and how to live well what to, not to, do. to the glory of God and, and what not to do. We'll, we'll throw a little bit of that in too. No, no, it'll be good. You know, and, and Hebrews chapter 12 also talks about um, the fact that there is a great cloud of witnesses that does indeed watch the way by which we live out our faith. And uh, these men as elders are some of those witnesses that do indeed watch over all of our souls here in this group. And so I think it's a great opportunity for us to be able to just learn from them um, as we hear from them a little bit about some of the things that they learned as they they were going through very similar to situations to the rest of us. So without further ado, let me pull out uh, our little list of uh, questions here. By the way, this list of questions, there's about 31 of them there that Carlos prepared. It's like a disposition. You know, I feel like we're going through. <laughs> no, it's not a disposition. There were some questions that were the same one, so he's trying to test right. us if we answered it the same way, I think. I think they call that an interrogation. That's a technique. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, it's Without good. the waterboarding, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> So let me start with this, and just kind of in, the, in keeping with the theme, I think this is a great question to start out with, and then we'll kind of do a, a speed round on some various topics. But if I can get each of you to just go down the row, and maybe we'll start with you down there, Irv. Uh, when you were a young man, what did you value back then that looking back you realize wasn't actually all that important? Well, I think the thing that probably I valued most was sports. I was driven. I grew up on a farm. And my dad once said, I think with tongue-in-cheek partially, but not totally, if you would work half as hard as you play ball, we would never have any work around here. 
So I think I overvalue sports were really important, and they are important. You learn a lot of wonderful things, but I think I overemphasized it. Okay. And on the flip side, what would you say you you didn't necessarily value as much as you should have? Probably. I, I grew up in a wonderful, wonderful home, and maybe we'll get to it later or whatever about my father being such an impact on my life. But I probably in the early years didn't value my parents as much as I wish I had. It was more out of duty when I was young. And then as I grow older, dad and mom get smarter and I look to them a lot more. Very good. Okay. Carlos, what would you say to those questions? Yeah, you know, I think I valued um, what people thought about me quite a bit in the sense that I, I wanted to do well in a lot of things. And I measured that by, by people's approval, not necessarily that they liked me, but did they approve of my work? Did they approve of my accomplishments, my, my work product? And, and that weighed heavily on me. And looking back, I, I wish I would have cared more about what the Lord thought about my inward heart in, in those regards. Um, so while I may have gotten the approval of men, I, I think that would have been more important. Um, I'm with Irv. I, I, you know, when I was a, a young man, I, I did not value my parents' opinions nearly as much as I wish I did. My dad's an unbeliever, and so it was really easy to discount that. Um, looking back on it, my dad had wonderful wonderful, even biblical advice just by the virtue of having lived life. A lot of what he shared with me was actually very biblical, and, and I didn't recognize it at the time. And, and, and sometimes I kick myself for not listening more carefully back then. So. Brad? Uh, probably a lot of things, but I, uh, one thing I kind of came to mind on that question was uh, uh, I kind of the word trophies came to mind. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, I, uh, you know, and th these were the days where the, everybody didn't get trophies. You know, you, it's like, uh, you know, back, back so I always wanted one, something. and I never, I never had one, and uh, uh, so I always wanted that trophy, and I, I, I thought, wow, if I could only get one of those, you know, what accomplishment that would be, and I'd have it up on the, the mantel place, and then, um, and, and then. Uh, I eventually got one when I was in high school in a speech contest, and I, I had it on my bed. It was up there, and I, I kind of almost worshipped it every day. It was, uh, it was, uh, but then, then Susan and I were going through our old stuff, you know, and then, of course, we had boxes of all these trophies. And of course, Susan had a lot more trophies than I did. She's uh, kind of an outstanding person. But, uh, and then we're just, we're just kind of tossing I, these I've trophies. I've been to your house, and I yeah, can verify that. Yeah, actually. yeah Susan, and, and actually, my daughters have made far more trophies uh, than I ever did. But then... As these trophies just kind of go into the in the garbage bin, you know, we're throwing them away and they kind of break apart. They're all plastic. It kind of said, "Why did I think that was so uh, so important? I really wanted one of those things, and uh, don't I, I don't quite value them quite as much as I did." But I think th something that I wish I would have valued more was, uh, you know, I had a Bible, you know, but it was it was something I remember where I kept it. I kept it in my fourth drawer, of my my uh, desk, and it was there all crisp, brand new with gold edges. Uh, you know, it was one of those nice Bibles I got for my confirmation. And uh, But never, never really referred to it much. I wish I would have, you know, kind of sought the word more. It, it was only, the only time I'd ever read the Bible was when it was like just dire circumstances, you know, and, and uh, would never really read it as a matter of course. So I would have a preferred to kind of emphasize more in the word and, and uh, using that to kind of guide my life. So, Okay, very good. 
Um, you know, one of the great hindrances of being young is that you don't have the experience to know, to have good perspective on life. And especially when you're younger, um, young people tend to be extremely impatient, right? Because everything needs to be done right now. Um, and there's no time to waste because I got to get as much in as I possibly can. And it needs to be done now and it needs to be done right. And as you get older, you begin to realize that maybe not everything is quite as urgent as you thought it was when you were a young person. Are there things looking back that you look at your life the way you thought and you say, you know, when I was a, a young man or a young adult or um, kind of just starting out in life and marriage, um, I thought that this was really urgent and had to be done right now. But maybe looking back, it wasn't as urgent as I actually thought it was. Are, are there things like that that you men can look back on and see in, in your lives? Well, I'd, I'd like to answer that more in a generic way. Uh, and uh, the elders up here, they'll, they'll say, oh, we've seen that in him. Uh, my middle name was almost expedite. I wanted to expedite things. I led, led meetings in an expeditious way. And when I was young, early on the elder board here, a gentleman by the name of Norm Priest, one of our fellow elders, his wife's name was Halo, and he said he was the only priest whose wife had a halo. <laughs> uh, but uh, after one of these meetings, he, uh, he came to me and he said, you know, bureaucracy has its place. And sometimes if you take things a little slower, the, uh, you avoid a lot of difficulties by uh, letting things work themselves out rather than being so driven expeditiously. And uh, so I really had to work on trying to not be so expeditious and wanting to get things done right now. How old would you say you were when you said it was Norm, when Norm kind of came alongside you with that advice? Uh, probably around 35. The, the great irony in that is that that is about the age that I was when Irv came alongside me with the very same advice when I was kind of put alongside Irv as a colleague at the seminary. And so that's just – it's an amazing thing to see how that that was advice that you were given from an older man to a younger one that you then in turn passed along to a younger man as well in his turn. And uh, it's a lesson I'm sure I'm still working on, but hopefully we'll be able to pass on someday to someone else. Thank you. One of the things that made that so impactful was that Norm Priest was the city planner, head of city planning for the city of Anaheim. And everything that Disney wanted to do, they had to go through him. And I thought of all the people that would want to expedite and make things right and do things, it would have been him. But he said, no, you need to take your time and plan things out carefully. Very good. Very practical. Any other thoughts on that question? Yep. I, um, a couple of things came to mind there that, um, that one, one was probably when you talk about great life lessons was probably the, the greatest, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned. Uh, I don't like to tell this story, but, uh, but anyway, I, uh, um, you know, I, when I was a young man, you know, I wanted to get my driver's license. So, uh, you know, and of course kids today, that's another thing they don't, you know, eh, my parents are driving me, who cares? They don't need a license, but, but back in those days, uh, license was freedom. So I was there 7 a.m. on my 16th birthday. I remember that before DMV opened. I got in there. Uh, I got tests. I, I, I passed with flying clear 100% of the written test, 100% of the driving test. Got home, so excited. And I talked to my, um, 
my dad, my parents are there and they're getting ready for my birthday. Hey, dad, you know, can I can I go for a spin in the car? He said, oh, sure. And dad, can I can I take the Jag? And like, oh, you know, the, the Jag. Yeah. So my dad had a, a Jaguar, very nice uh, Jaguar. So I took the Jag out and picked up my friend David. We were kind of going for a spin, you know, and I was riding high on my uh, my newfound freedom. And uh, and so his, his, David said, hey, we got to get back for the party. So I said, OK. So I whipped around and kind of did a real quick three point turn. And then as I was backing up, I, I backed directly into a uh, telephone pole. And these are the days where, you know, these weren't, uh, you know, these uh, cushion bumpers, whatever. These were like chrome bumpers, you know. I've tried to pull it out, but there was no fixing that. I mean, it was. Uh, and so I had to kind of slink home with my to my dad. And they were all getting ready for the birthday party. And I came home. I had to tell my dad that my very first day of driving, I had I'd crashed the car. And it was. And again, I, to this day, I'm still embarrassed about it. I just uh, it's. Uh, but but, you know, my dad in a very wise fashion, he said, you know, that's that, that's the cheapest lesson I, I ever taught you. And it was something that uh, stuck with me. First of all, I, I always think about that pride that goes in uh, and overwhelms maybe your caution that, you know, thinking about that. But then, you know, having a lesson like that, I mean, it, it, it definitely guided me through the rest of my, my driving years and certainly other parts of life, too. So uh, I learned my lesson, I think. Yeah. Good. Carlos? Yeah, you know, it's funny, at least for me, everything was urgent um, when I was younger. And it's only been recently that I think I finally slowed down, but everything was urgent. You know, you're in college. I got to graduate, got to graduate in four years so that I can get a job. I got to get a job so I can pay off my loans. You know, you get a job. I got to prove myself. I, I got to promote. Um, I got to get married. I got to save to get married. Um, I'm married. You know, I got to grow in my marriage. I, you know, we're going to have kids. I got to get my kids out of diapers. And everything was just so <laughs> urgent. Um, and looking back, I, I while I, I think the drive was good and the desire to excel was good. Along the line, I, I, I forgot to enjoy a lot of things. Um, you know, the Lord would give me a promotion, and rather than enjoying it, I'm just looking at the next step and going, what else do I need to do from here to, to progress? And it's easy to rationalize that, you know, in, in terms of excellence for the Lord, and, and I'm doing this for family and whatnot. My wife has an amazing ability to savor the moment. She, she just enjoys the moment. Um, and I'm just now starting to, to master that. And I feel like I wish I would have mastered this decades ago because um, life does pass quickly. So not and I'm realizing most things aren't that urgent. Yeah, I think that that's really helpful. You know, what, what I'm hearing each of you kind of reiterate in different ways is just the lesson that uh, living to the fullest does not necessarily mean quantity. It's not about what you pack in and how much you get done. What it does mean is quality the quality of your relationship to Christ and enjoying the walk with him as you go with him day by day down the road that he lays out before you. Um, and that's, that's very helpful. I think to those of us who may, are maybe a little younger thinking through how do we live and, and with what speed do we live to think biblically 
about the urgency of life and framing that up in a way that is honoring to the Lord and keeping our focus really where it ought to be, which is on him and not so much upon the task that's in front of us. So that's that's very helpful. Um, maybe we'll, uh, we'll do a bit of a, a speed round here just on some various uh, practical topics, and I'll just kind of pitch uh, one of these topics to each one of you guys. There's a number of them here. Um, but here, here's the question. If you knew then what you know now about the various topic, what would you say? So, Brad, if you knew then what you know now about work, career, what would you say to those of us who are on the front end of that? Uh, yeah, and the, the way the, the question kind of it, it had work, career, ministry, um, if I knew then what I knew now, I, I think, um, you know, before I used to think that these were kind of separate things, you know, your work and your career was one thing, your ministry was another. But really, when you think about it, Lord has kind of put us on this earth for ministry, whether it's in the workplace or at church or wherever it might be. So there, you know, whereas before you see there's these compartments, I have my church life, I have my ministry life, I have my friends life. Really, it's all ministry and looking at kind of everything, even your work, the Lord has placed you, you know, you may not be a missionary, but you are a missionary in your in your workplace. Uh, or wherever you be. And so look at everything you do in your life as kind of a ministry as opposed to kind of these compartmental uh, compartments that are separated. I think that's a takeaway. Yeah. Okay, good. Carlos, what would you say to the same question about decision-making? Yeah, you know, if I knew then what I know now about decision-making is that rarely is there ever a right, a 100% right decision. And usually the hard decision is when you have multiple options and and they all have pluses and minuses. And I've learned that the minute you latch on to decision A, once you, you choose option A, all the negatives of option A will pop up in your mind. All the positive of, of option B will, will jump in your mind. And as soon as you switch to B, it'll just get reversed. Um, and I've just realized that what's important in decision making is, is making the decision, whatever it is, and then owning the decision and, and taking responsibility for it. When I was a younger man, I used to try to pawn it off on my wife in this regard. If there was a difficult decision, I would keep asking Grace, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? therefore trying to absolve myself of that decision. And that way, if it went bad, I could say, well, you know, I... It was, it was a, the woman you had yeah, given me. <laughs> the woman you gave me. <laughs> so, um, but, but really just learning to make a decision, own the decision, being willing to change if you need to. But what was important is just you keep moving forward. And, and I think the biggest thing I learned is that making a bad decision is a wonderful thing. I, I've learned so much from making bad decisions, owning it, taking responsibility for it, and just moving forward. Um, the other thing I learned about decision making is to not make a decision is to make a decision. Um, and that's probably the worst way to make a decision is you wait and you wait and you wait until the circumstances dictate the decision. And then again, you've absolved yourself of all responsibility but that was probably the worst way to make a decision. You just have to be mature enough to make it and then own it. Uh, that's very helpful. Along those lines, you know, what, one of the things in, in working with Pastor John that I learned from him, because there were some points at which perhaps I made decisions that were not the best decisions in working with him. And, and he would often tell me, hey, look, everyone makes bad decisions. The sign of a truly great man and a good leader is someone who is able to make a good second decision. 
because while everyone makes bad decisions, very few people are willing to go back and admit, hey, that was a terrible decision, and I need to change course now and admit that I was wrong and make a different choice in my second decision. Um, but a humble man, a godly man, is a man who's willing to admit, you know what, that first decision, that was a mistake. And that's okay, because we all make mistakes, but let's make sure that our next decision is what it needs to be. So that's, that's kind of what you're driving at there. It's good. Okay? Irv, what would you say about marriage? If you knew now, then, what you know now regarding the subject of marriage, what would you tell us? I would have married her at age 16. <laughs> Good answer. Get it done sooner. Anything else? Absolutely. <laughs> the quicker I could get the ring on her finger, it was. Uh, I would have married her at 16. Absolutely. Speaking of good decision making, right? <laughs> I've never regretted it. That's good. 50 years later. <laughs> Very good. Uh, what about the subject of money? If you knew then what you know now about the subject of personal finances, money, what, what would you say with, rela- with, with, re- with regard to that subject? Well, um, it's not all it uh, appears to be. I mean, the Bible talks a lot about money in terms of um, being the root of all evil, although we, it's a necessary evil. But I think... Um, you know, uh, you know, as I've, I've kind of my my attitudes on money has have changed over the years. You know, initially, uh, you know, when you're a young man, you uh, you can't spend it fast enough. You know, it's kind of consume it now and uh, and and you know, buy things, and then eventually you learn the principle of saving. And usually, that's saving up for something you want a, a bigger thing you want to buy now, and then and then eventually you start talking about well, maybe I need to start saving for retirement, and so you, you're you're Time horizon changes on your on your money, but I think the thing that I've really learned is that I think you need to really look at your your time horizon, the perspective. Are you really saving for kind of now and just a little ways from now? Or are you really saving for eternity? Obviously, put your treasure in heaven. Um, when you have a portfolio management, I'm kind of in the finance world, I have been, but you know, where do you put your investments? You know, do you invest it in kind of something that's going to pay off a little bit in the future, or are you going to pay, put your investments in something that's pay off in forever and, and it's going to last forever? And, uh, you know, as the Bible says, where your treasure be, that's where your heart will be. So uh, I think that's, I think it's really a changing of perspective from when you're a young man and where you spend money to kind of now, as, as the Lord has taught me, you know, uh, where is you, are you going to get the best returns? And that's obviously, you know, sending it on ahead. So. No, I think for me, um, I, I've, my perspective on money is this, is that it's not as important as I thought, and it's more important than I thought. And, and what I mean by that is when I was younger, I went through the both ends of the spectrum where there was a time when I really wanted to be rich. I mean, really. I So I was going to law school. I had the opportunity to go into some high-end lucrative fields, and I was very convinced that money would make me happy. And then I switched and went to the other extreme of saying, you know what, money really doesn't matter. What matters is other things. And I love Proverbs because it's just so practical. And it says this in Proverbs 19.6, many will seek the favor of a generous man. And every man is a friend of him who gives gifts, meaning money can bring good things to you, even favor. All the brothers of a poor man hate him. How much more do his friends abandon him? He pursues them with words, but they are gone. You know, Proverbs is so practical to me, but what I mean by that is money 
is not as important as I thought. I, I'm realizing that having money doesn't bring you happiness per se, but money is important. Um, money consumes much of my life. I mean, I work so that I can get money so that I can pay for my stuff, um, college, mortgage, car payments. And if I had a job where I was always struggling for money, that would make life hard. And so I think there's a good balance in there somewhere. Um, money is important. We can't just disregard it, but it's not all important. Okay. Irv? Well, um, one of the uh, – I think debt is just a huge killer. And one of the blessings of being older is that they didn't have college loans in my day. And I went to a lot of school over the years, but everything had to be paid up front as I go. And I look back on that, even though it made it very, very difficult. At one point, we deposited $2 in the bank so we wouldn't be overdrawn. It was just very serious. But at the same time, I'm so thankful that we didn't have that because when I graduated from doctoral studies and so on, uh, there was no debt to that whatsoever. So there are some advantages uh, being older. No, I will say Grace's mom gave us great advice. She said, when you're young, get out of debt as fast as possible, because I had, I had um, student loan debt. And so we did everything we could to get out of debt. And Was that a requirement for marriage there? Was it? Yeah, <laughs> it was. Um, but getting out of debt early was so helpful. And I've known people who, when, I, the statistics are this, if you have a, a credit card bill of, I think, 500, if you carry a debt of 500, you will be in debt for the rest of your life. That statistically, the credit card companies know that. So as, you, as soon as you build that up, you, you're almost trapped. Um, and getting out of that was so helpful. The other thing Grace and I have done through the years is we've just always tried to live within our means and beneath our means. And it's just, it's such a free feeling not to have that noose around your neck. And so, yeah. My wife's parents uh, early in our marriage uh, gave us a little bit of wisdom. You, you can adjust from there and so on. But they said, give 10%, save 10%, and enjoy the rest. Yeah. And it was just a little bit of a barometer to kind of guide us in, in the process. And sorry for saying so much about this. I have a good friend who really helped me start to save. He said, Carlos, you know, you're making this amount right now. And we we're both in the same field, so he knew. And he said, we're going to get a 2% raise next month. And he said, I know you're not in debt. I know you're doing just fine. And the temptation is to take that full 2%. He said, just do me a favor. Take 1% and use it. Take the other percent and deposit it straight in the bank. Do auto pay. And you won't even realize that you've missed out on the 1%. And so through the years, every time we get a raise, if it's a 3% raise, we try to tuck away 1% and we use the other two. And before you realize it, you're realizing I'm saving a lot of money. And that money adds up, like Irv said, really fast. And retirement comes at you very fast. And most people are not prepared for retirement. Okay. Very good. Very, very practical insights there. You know, Irv, you're, as you're talking about your experience kind of early on with depositing $2, you know, it, it, I think that goes to show that, that life, life is and can be very, very difficult at times. And sometimes it goes beyond um, life just being difficult to life actually becoming painful. 
right? Where there's loss. I mean, there's real tragedy. Um, and when you're young, you haven't experienced that kind of loss or tragedy, that kind of pain or heartache. But as life goes, every single person in the room will experience some kind of heartache, some kind of loss, some kind of disappointment throughout the course of life, if not in multiple times or even constantly. Um, what would you say with regard to that question? Um, as, as you look back over your life, how would you counsel us to think rightly biblically about the idea of loss and pain and heartache in life. There's a poem called The Weaver. Some of them say it's anonymous. Some of them say it's by uh, some author and so on. But I just like the last line of that poem. It says, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. And that is just such a freeing element of disappointment. Uh, it comes to all of us. Don't kick against the pricks. Don't fight it. Let it happen. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice with him. And uh, so he has some purpose for it, and he wants to see that come to reality in our lives. Okay. Very encouraging. And if you're in a position of difficulty here today, uh, whether things going on in your life, difficulty, pain, hardship, um, that's very practical advice. So thank you. Yeah, I, you know, I've um, really depends on what the pain or the heartache is. If it's obviously a result of sin, you need you kind of need to look at your your own life and you know compare that to God's standard. But I mean, I think there's other areas, just as Irv said, where you know, in James it says, consider all joy when you encounter various trials. I know there's been specific um, instances where um, even here at Grace, where uh, I remember Mainstream, our first pastor. Uh, John Zimmer, he was he was sent out from grace, you know, and it was kind of, we're all quite, kind of questioning because we had spent uh, a lot of time together, been at their house and just had a very deep kind of strong bond. And we were really questioning, you know, why are they sending out our pastor? And, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, we want him here, that type of thing. And, and then, you know, years later, we went back um, uh, they had a 10-year anniversary celebration for John up at his church in Washington. And then we went up there, and it sort of dawned on Susan and I. It was like, well, now we know why we went through that. You know, here's John. He's got this this church. And it hasn't been all a bed of roses up there, as maybe knows John. But they've had a, a group of people who love him. He's had a ministry there, probably far beyond the ministry he could have had here. And so sometimes you don't see those um you know, the reason for that, but, you know, you have to trust that God has a reason and that he's working everything according to his will. And that's, again, it's it's hard. I think you only, as you see it happen over and over again, you get more confidence, I guess, that God is in control because you see it and you see his plan working out. But at the time, it doesn't seem like uh, you understand. So, Yeah, there's a sense in which we we really do live in the shadow of God's sovereignty, Right. Where uh, from our perspective, all we see is the underside of the cloud. Uh, and there's a sense in which you've got to trust that God does not live in that in the context of that shadow. Right. He he sees and comprehends the full panoramic picture of the horizon and everything that's even beyond that horizon. And so his perspective is is very different from ours. And so we can't get caught up in the whys and the what's of the difficulty we're facing. Uh, we have to trust that the Lord knows exactly what he has for us, that there is a purpose behind all of this. So 
that's one of the benefits of being a little older because you have you can look back in life and look at the things as Brad was saying, look at the things that you didn't think were right. That's not right. Somebody violated a promise or whatever. But then you look back and you say, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you did that because it has turned out so much better than I could have ever anticipated. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we all have those occasions in our life where we look back and see what God has prevented from happening, things that we thought would have been exactly the thing we needed. And yet uh, God says no, and years later or weeks later even, it, it becomes obvious why he did that. So, Brad, uh, let me ask you this question um, just about parenting, right? You've got two girls who are both out of the house doing well, um, and so things seem to go pretty well. But looking back, if you could change something in the way that, that you and Susan approached the, the parenting equation, what would it be? If we could change something? What would you do different? What, what should we know? Uh, well, I think, uh, first of all, I mean, I, I think as we talked about, it's, um, it's an investment. You know, parenting is an investment. I think, um, uh, you know, we, you know, when we, we rose, raised our kids, you know, Susan stepped away from her career to focus on the kids, which was a, a conscious decision that we made and, um, and haven't regretted that, you know, um, you know, we, you know, I think raising kids is an investment that you make uh, of your time, and uh, it's a discipleship process, really, as you as you kind of grow them in the admission of the Lord. I, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, there, there's always these little uh, things you think, oh, we could have done this differently, we could have done that differently, and obviously the Lord kind of makes up for your inadequacies. Um, I think for me uh, personally, you know, I. I, um, even though I spent a lot of time with the kids, you know, I traveled a lot when we were, um, uh, when they were growing up and we would, we would come up with creative ideas. You know, I would read to them over the phone, even though I was, you know, in Washington DC or something. And then Susan would come in and of course, both people were asleep. I was asleep and they were asleep and the phone was just sitting there open. Uh, uh, so, uh, it wasn't always, uh, as successful, but I, I, you know, we, we made a lot of effort to, uh, spend the quality time with the kids. But I, I think, you know, had I not been traveling, it would have been nice to um, uh, spend maybe a little more time, catch a few more uh, of those events. But I, you know, we we, I think we made the time that we had. But if I if I had any regrets at all, it'd be just spending maybe a little bit more time, not being as much on the road. But but again, with Susan there, we've I, you know, and she did a great job and and really being there for the kids and, and guiding them through. And and again, you know, our kids, I I, I really pleased that the Lord you know, has, has seen, saw and fit. And again, despite both of our efforts, you know, the Lord does grab your kids. There was, there was a time, um, you know, when Shannon, everybody knows my daughter, Shannon, well, there was a time in Shannon's life, um, where, you know, she wasn't as excited about coming to church. And so she and I would go and meet over at Coco's and kind of talk about it. And, and there was this real hardness and, you know, I don't know what happened. You know, we, we, we would just be faithful and, and work through it. And, the Lord grabbed her heart and and got her through it. And I'd like to say there was something I said or did, or, but I, I do think it's that uh, if I have any admonition or, or advice for parents is even when your kids don't seem like they want your advice, they don't want you, they don't want to be with you, that is when they need you the most. And they are still listening. Those seeds that you plant do eventually sprout and grow. And so I think that's maybe an encouragement for all the parents there that even when they seem like they're pushing you off or don't want to hear from you or 
think you're stupid. Uh, I think it's um, that's when they need you the most. So don't don't give up. You know, keep the faith. The Lord will bless that. Um, and we we saw that definitely working in our own lives. Okay, very good. I, I'm a little bit behind Brad and Irv, but looking back, um, I've realized that if I could change anything, I, I would not pursue methods so much. And you, you hear those in any church, including Grace. You know, you'll hear this parent or these parents used this method. Um, I remember one family was um, pushing board games very hard. Um, and we don't like board games, you know, but we're, we're sitting there trying to play board games and we're getting angry at each other, you know, and just... Um, I just want to know who won. I, I did. No, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think we ever You're got through a game. Got yeah. But I think that principles matter. The methods don't matter. And, and you can. it's very easy to get hung up on the methods. And then the thing looking back, I think the relationships matter. Just building. And Irv and I have talked about this, how, how we've enjoyed skiing because of the, the lift ride up where you just talk to your kids. Um, so the relationships were key. Just spending that time with them. I think there would be two things that I would want to do differently. One is passive and one is active. The passive one, I think I would like to hang more mottos in my home. So just coming and going through the course of life, my kids would see that motto, see that scripture verse, or see that three or four line poem that kind of thing, just a passive thing to infiltrate their mind. The more active would be to invite more missionaries to my home for dinner so my sons could be around them, see what made them tick, what God did in their lives. Augustine once says, the world is a book. He who does not travel has read only one page. And while that speaks of all of travel, certainly missionaries travel a lot, and it would have opened the world more to my sons uh, in different ways, and I thought that those would be two things I would like to see us do more of. Okay, very good. Those are just some practical insights on some various areas that are common, I think, probably to most, if not all of us. We all have to face these issues as we're going through our daily lives and be thinking through those things, and it's helpful just to get some uh, retrospective insight from you men in those areas. Um, kind of going back more to just life in general as you reflect upon your life and God's faithfulness to you and your your Christian walk. Um, looking back, if, if there were a particular area in your life um, that you could look back and see, um, wh- what would be one character trait that you would want to do more to cultivate at an earlier age in your life? You know, I, I think for me, humility, um, and, and there's so many aspects of humility, but the, the humility to um, it, to to me, it's just foundational. So, for example, if you're humble, you're you're always learning, and you don't think you know it all. Especially when you're young and you're trying to progress, you start to think you know it all. I still cringe when Grace and I used to give parenting advice to people before we were parents, and uh, you know. Uh, <laughs> But but just a humility to just sit and listen to literally men like you know Irv and Brad and Rich just to to listen. Um, I've learned that I can learn a lot from people, even unbelievers, 
I'll embarrass Rich, but he and I get together once every other week, and I learn so much from Rich um, just to, to hear his life. So just to, to receive more instruction. Um, you know, when you're really humble, you, you care more about other people. You, the interest of others matter more than your own interests. Um, to care more about what my family thinks than, than what I think, to want more for them than I want for myself. I, I wish I, I had more of that. So. I think kind of related to what Carlos said, but wisdom, I guess, was what I'd say. You know, if you look at Proverbs, you know, pursue wisdom with all your heart, you know, and, and work to gather, gain understanding. And, of course, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think uh, I don't want to go into all of them here, but there's a lot of foolish things I did as a young man that uh, I wish, you know, I had been pursuing that wisdom. I could have maybe seen, uh, you know, different courses of action, things that would have saved me a little uh, grief. <laughs> Uh, but uh, <clears throat> so I guess that would be the thing I would have focused on more. Yeah, that was a difficult one for me because I, I look at both of these items that uh, Brad and Carlos have mentioned and thinking, wow, those are really great things that I need to work on. Uh, I wrote down uh, thankfulness, just being more and more thankful because it, it infiltrates almost every area of life. If I'm thankful, I realize that. Everything I have received it comes as a gift, and I need to be thankful for what the day brings, regardless of what it is. Okay, very good. Um, you, you know, most of the time, life kind of cruises along at a particular altitude. You kind of get into a zone, you know, and you're kind of going through your daily life, your daily walk. And for the most part, when life's in that zone and everything is quote-unquote normal, you you know what to do. You you know how to think, um, and you go and you do it because it's what you do pretty much every day. Um, where life can become challenging is during the periods of time when there are certain transitions in life, right? Where maybe you're transitioning jobs or you're transitioning homes or there's a life transition that's taking place. Children are coming into your home or children are going out of your home. Or maybe if you're on the very younger side, you're just getting married and a wife is coming into your home. Um, it, it's in those periods of kind of transition where life gets a little bit perhaps confusing, uncertain, and it's where you can really make some of the biggest mistakes that can be made. Um, what wisdom would you men share with the group about how to navigate through the transitions of life and how to avoid making the common mistakes that come with going through those kinds of life transitions? Brad, let's start with you. Okay. <clears throat> well, first of all, excuse me. Sorry. I picked on you at the wrong moment. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> Get all choked up about this one. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. So, um, yeah, I think uh, <clears throat> an idea a lot um, in, in uh, organizational change and things like that. And uh, <clears throat> so I do a lot of work on helping organizations change and go through major periods of change. And <clears throat> I think the, the common thing is that change is scary. Everybody is afraid of change. Uh, <clears throat> they, um, you know, it's something that, you know, it's just unknown. You don't know what you're going through and uh, you're a little worried about what will happen. What will I do? Will I be prepared? Um, will I, you know, in a work setting, will I not be able to succeed because I don't have the skills necessary to change? And so I think we all go through that resistance to change. And I think the 
First of all, um, you know, we know the Lord promises a word that, you know, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common, and I'll get you through that. So he, he has that promise that whatever I bring you to, I will get you through. So we have that promise. We have that confidence. And I think that's part of that, just that security of knowing that the Lord will get you through. And I think the other thing um, you see as you, as you as you trust in the Lord, and we talked about this earlier, as you see him get you through various changes in life, you have that experience now to say, yes, I was afraid. He got me through that change. I I can get through the next one. And um, you know, I all the all the changes you talked about there uh, were were um, were very scary. I think you know when uh, my daughters first went off to college, you know, I thought, okay, well, that's the end of our family as uh, as we know it. You know, we'll never see them again. You know, I heard so many horror stories about kids going to college and never coming back and things like that. And uh, uh, and and then. To look on back on that and then see, you know, for both Shannon and Stephanie that, you know, college was uh, was a, a blossoming time where they, they really their, their faith was tested. Uh, and, uh, you know, for Shannon, she she got in a the, the Shannon was a girl that <clears throat> promised us she was never going to leave home. She was going to stay in her room forever, did not want to leave her room uh, and didn't even want to sleep overnight at people's houses at, at one point. And Shannon then went off to, to UCLA, got in a room, a, a suite with five other girls who she had no knowledge of, did not know these girls. And Shannon went off and we we're like, oh, this is not going to be good. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we were worried, too, and that we figured all these girls are going to basically change Shannon and draw her away from her faith. And we had all these concerns as, a, as, as parents. And what we found was it was the exact opposite. Shannon blossomed in her faith. Uh, she got on Grace on campus, and they really challenged her. Um, you know, Shannon once told us, you, you know, Mom and Dad, college is the bomb, right? You know, we really, really, she's, she, she just embraced it. She grew so much in her faith, and having those non-Christian roommates really challenged her in her faith. And so that thing that we were worried about, and, and, and then what we found was, as she was going through these things, she was even more embracing coming back to us. And it was short stories that we could tell. And it actually drew our family closer together. She was developing her own personality, her own faith, and, and our relationship was even stronger. And so that was an area where we're very, I still remember just thinking how this is the end. And it really was the beginning. And it was such a special time. So that's, and that's, you see that time and time again, you know, that's what gives you confidence that you can meet the change in the future. Yeah. You know, I, I'm coming to realize that change is just a normal part of life. And I I was so used to life is good now. Why does it have to change now? So, um, And it can even be good things. Grace and I were married. We we're having a great time just on our own. And then we have kids. And that's ter- it was terrifying to me. I, I knew nothing of when people gave me the child. You know, I had a friend who told me he had this warm spot in his chest where his son's head was. I was like, I, I didn't know any of that. I just knew terror. You know, how am I going to raise these kids in a, so that they're not felons and whatnot? Um, Showing up of in your Of course, that was your yeah, concern. Yeah. We're still not Superior out of the woods court. yet. Um, and just when everything is, is right, it changes. And then, you know, your kids are toddlers and they're doing great. And then it changes and they become teenagers and so on and so forth. 
work changes, things at church change. And for a long time, I was just very frustrated of, Lord, you know, just when everything's good and I'm enjoying it, you bring yet more change. And I've just gotten used to the idea that I need to let the moment I had, I need to enjoy it when it passes. Just let it go and don't keep looking back. And the new stage is going to bring a lot of blessings and a lot of challenges and and just enjoy it. And it just reminds me of Ecclesiastes 3. You know, there is a time for and then it gives all the events. And so I'm just getting used to the idea that life is going to constantly change. And each season has a has blessings and challenges. So. Proverbs 16:9, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Uh, that just gives so much peace in times of transition. You know, and I, I found myself struggling with this concept sometimes of just change and transition, um, especially in the stage of life that I'm in. I, I look at my girls, my little girls that are six and three, and you, you look at it and you say, boy, that's going by so fast. And I know I talk to you men and you say, just wait, it's only going to speed up. Um, and I, I, I often will find myself thinking, I wish you would not change at all. I wish you would just stay exactly the way that you are. And despite the problems that come with this, I wish it was just this way for forever. And then I find myself thinking, what a terrible life that would be. Because you would be stuck on a, on a treadmill, really never getting anywhere or progressing in your sanctification. The Lord would not be able to bring new trials into your life if everything was just the way that it is right now. And it's really through the trials and the difficulties and the changes, the transitions that come in life that he shapes us and and changes us. And we are able to progress not only in our knowledge and in our quality of life, but also in our walk with him. And so change and transition is a critical part of life. Um, That is it's it's very important to a, a life that is well lived. Um, And learning to embrace that, uh, at least from my perspective, is really the process of of coming to grips with the fact that even though things around me feel like they're changing and I might not want them to change, things with God have not. And he is exactly who he has always been and his perspective is what it has always been. And his nature has not shifted or altered one bit. And you go to James 1 and you look at, you know, all of the things that we have in life are good gifts that come down from our Father in heaven with whom there is no what? Variation or change. So even when things seem topsy-turvy to me and I wish I could just stop the clock and have things just never change from what they are, um, it's helpful to me to remember that God is not like I am. And I can fall back upon him and his unchangeability, even as things around me are transitioning and changing. So just very helpful to think through that with you men, because change is a constant part of our life story, right? Um, Let me ask you this question. Um, Talk about maybe a, a major decision that you've made in life. Could be any decision. And what wisdom you gained from the making of that decision, Carlos, you wrote that question, yeah. so you get to answer it. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to be on this panel. So, yeah. um, you know, I think probably the the biggest decision I've made was marrying Grace, and, and most of you know how we married. And so that was a huge decision. It was not your traditional marriage decision. Um, I think what I learned from that is you – Just moment by moment, you are obedient. Moment by moment, you do 
what you believe is right and, and you really entrust the results to the Lord. It doesn't always mean it's going to turn out the way you want it to, but you, your only obligation is to be faithful and obedient in the moment. Um, and that, that's really all you can do. Um, so when Grace and I got married, we had a lot of challenges because we, we had known each other 20 hours you know, before we got married. But even then, we, we were both just obedient to do what the Lord commanded, and, and he, he blessed and honored that. So I think as you're making those life-changing decisions, just what is the most obedient thing to do at this moment? Yeah, I, I had a big decision when I was graduating for high school, what college to go to. And, uh, uh, and this people, probably people don't know this story either, but uh, everybody at my high school thought I was going to USC, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they'd, uh, they'd given me uh, a scholarship and they were treating me like royalty. Hey, we want you. And but my dad kept saying, you know, there's this other school, UCLA. You got to think about it. You know, it's they're, they're pretty good school too. And so, and you know, and I, I was then I didn't have uh, my decision making principles quite down at the moment. So I was waffling, waffling. So it came time, end of summer. I ended up going to to the orientation sessions for both schools. Uh, so uh, uh, and uh, and I I kind of went and then. Um, uh, and actually, they were kind of in the same weekend, so I left one early, got the other one. So I felt a little like a, kind of a, a imposter, you know, going to both schools because I wasn't really committed to either one. But then, then as I kind of looked at the UCLA campus and the um, uh, just the kind of the orientation of the students, uh, football team. Uh, no, I didn't look at that. I, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, um, and as I kind of looked at kind of the orientation, the programs that they offered, and all the different things that kind of factored in that I, at the last minute, kind of made a decision to switch over to UCLA. In fact, USC didn't even know I hadn't been there. I got a call at the end of the year saying, hey, how'd you like going to USC? And I said, well, <laughs> I have a little admission to make. But but anyway, it was the, the, uh, uh, the I think the, the point of that was, you know, and, and this is, you know, in consulting, we do a lot of helping clients make decisions. And so rather than just kind of going and doing your due diligence, seeking many counselors, um, you know, kind of investigating uh, and, and doing the getting the doing the research uh, and investigation and, and um, you know, obviously seeking the Lord's will and, and prayer, you know, gets you through um, making some of those tough decisions. And, uh, and of course, we know how that one ended up meeting Susan and uh uh, so the Lord knew where I was supposed to go, although I almost made a mistake. So, okay. Uh, l- l- let me ask. Let me, let me ask this question, and we'll we'll start out by doing doing just a yes or no answer, and then we'll pull some principles out of the yes or no answer. Okay. Um, are you doing now, or did you do when you were still working, um, exactly what you thought you were going to be doing when you were younger in your life? Did life turn out? to be exactly what you thought it was going to be? Take out the word exactly, and then the answer is yes. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. Mostly, yes. <laughs> well, I, all I asked for was yes or, was yes yeah, or yeah, no. I know. It's like, I know. It's, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're not going to hold you to More it. yes than no. Okay. Uh, um, okay. So, but it would be fair to say that um, life was not exactly what you thought it was going to be. And you didn't end up exactly where you thought you would end up, right? Uh, 
What are some lessons uh, maybe for though we have a, a number of college students who are at the master's university in here? What, what are some lessons from that reality that can be drawn? How should we think about life as we look at the future knowing that it will not be then what we think it is now? You know, for me, um, I, the, the question I hated the most, and my son and I were just talking about this, but the question I hated the most in college was, what are you going to do in life? And I'm like, I have no idea. And, and I would give an answer, but it, the real answer was, I don't know. When I got into law school, people assumed I wanted to go, go into law. And so they would say, what area of law do you want to practice? And I would give an answer, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I don't even know that I want to practice law. Um, and then I end up in the DA's office because that's the only job offer I had, honestly. Um, and then I end up becoming a judge, which was the last thing I had ever even thought of. Um, and so looking back, I think that the principle I have gleaned out of that is it's good to have plans and it's, it's good to constantly be moving forward in life because I think the Lord will direct you through your efforts. It's the, the people who are not moving forward in life. It's hard to direct them sometimes. Um, but as you're moving forward, you're just faithful to bear at that moment. Um, you know, I worked at Kinko's once and, and that was my job. And I, I try to be the very best copy button pusher there was, you know. Um, but I have just learned that if, if you do your, your very best with the task given to you at hand, the Lord tends to open doors and opportunities. Um, and, and the world would have its own sayings, you know, luck favors the prepared. But I think there's some wisdom in that. But if you're just faithful with what God gives you at the moment and you're constantly just trying to move forward, the Lord will bless that and he'll honor that and direct that. So. Okay. Other thoughts? Uh, yes. Um, I think there are just some things that uh, come into life in those decisions that need to be made that are just, they just work themselves out. Uh when I was with the seminary, so many guys came to me, and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what do you, what, what do you want to do? Uh, and I, I would use the illustration of subjective, collective, objective. Subjective. I want to be an astronaut. Collective. All my friends think I'd make a great astronaut. So I apply to NASA, and they tell me I'd make a terrible astronaut. <laughs> you know, it's open doors, closed doors, just collective uh, subjective, collective, objective. So uh, if, if it isn't sin, you can make no wrong decision. And that's beautiful to realize that God will use the decision that you make. It will be a part of his directive in your life, and he will maximize it for his glory. Whether it's, uh, it's uh, if I could have made a better decision or so on, but he knows what's best, and he'll open that door. Yeah, I think Irv kind of said earlier, you know, from Proverbs, uh, acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. I think if you stay on the course that God wants you, that he'll open the doors when the time is right. From my perspective, I, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. I mean, I, when I filled out my college application, I said I wanted to be math, computer science, and that's what I ended up doing as a career, really being in, in the computer technology field. But when it came to ministry, when I showed up at Grace Church, you know, um, I'd barely even had read my Bible. I never dreamed that, you know, be involved as an elder. I didn't even know what elders were when we got here. And so that turned out completely differently. But I think it's just being faithful in what the Lord has given you and minister your gifts. And then 
through the process of your discovery and others around you, you get affirmed and, and, and then he directs your paths that way. So, okay. That question, um, is more geared towards people who are starting out trying to figure out how do we think rightly about the future, knowing that it will probably change from what we think it will be today. So that's very helpful, but let's kind of flip the script a little bit, fast forward the tape. And perhaps there are people in the room who are saying, I thought I knew what life was going to be. And yet it wasn't that, and I was very disappointed. It's, it's the class of classic midlife crisis, right? The midlife crisis doesn't have to always look like a fancy sports car. That's almost never the midlife crisis. But almost everybody comes to a point in their life where they're assessing themselves, and they come to grips with their own mortality and realize, I don't really have that much left, not that much longer left, or maybe there was more that I've already lived than what I have yet to go, um, and life isn't what I thought it was going to be. How would you counsel that kind of a person um, to look at the time that they have left in light of what God expects of them? What advice would you have for a person going through that kind of a immediate challenge? Helen Keller once said, when one door closes, another often opens, but we look so long at the one that is closed, we fail to see the one that has opened. And I think you just need to... Uh, See what's out there. Uh, make the motive of your job the glory of God, not the promotion or the raise. Those will come if you seek to glorify God and do everything to the glory of God. Then the other stuff falls into place, and it will happen. And, and opportunities in your own world of career or in some other world, it will begin to open as you're faithful. You know, I think finishing well is so important. And the fact that you so if you are at that point, you're midway through your life and you're thinking life did not turn out the way I thought it would. And and I wish it were more um, just like I said, that is an open door and you can still finish well. You, you really can. And that's yet another opportunity that the Lord in his grace has shown to you that perhaps you're not where you could have been, um, but just be faithful to, to finish well. So if it's a midlife change in careers or whatever it is, I think if you are just grateful and faithful and do your best, that the Lord will honor that. I, mean, I say a lot to my employees and, and people that uh, I'm in ministry with is, is grow where you're planted. Uh, you know, God puts you in specific situations. Hey, you may not have thought you were going to be a bus driver, but grow where you, God has planted you and, and get the joy out of your work. Do your work heartily as for the Lord you know, any circumstances we find. And if you talk about when we talk about earlier, taking the eternal perspective, uh, again, are you are you looking for, hey, this is what I want to do from a job perspective, or this is what I want to do from a ministry and looking overall as a ministry perspective, you can have ministry anywhere. And and what is your source of disappointment too? Is it is it sin that entangles you? Is it disappointments of of expectations you had for your life? Or is it uh, your disappointments are more spiritually rewarded, and and I think as we just talked about, you can you can change anything. You can push the button. All things become new. You can you can push the reset button at any time and and get on target, you know, spiritually and really grow. But then using your spiritual gifts to minister in the places that God has uh, planted you. So you know, when people say, "Hey, I don't like this job or this assignment or whatever," I don't always have a lot of sympathy for that. I mean, again. If you're doing your best and you're you're ministering, you're doing all you can do, and the other another opportunity comes up, great. But if not, this is where you're you're planted. Grow there, you know. You know, and, and that's so wise with Bradson. And, and that happened with me when I finished law school and went into the DA's office. 
it was not at all what I thought it was. And I was horribly disappointed with, with my job at the time within my first year. And I told Grace, I'm, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go looking for something else. And it was what Brad said, you know, grow where you're planted. And that's what Grace told me. She said, look, do me a favor. I will support you quitting. But will you just give it one year? And will you, will you give it your all? And will you be faithful with where the Lord has put you? And so nothing changed except for my attitude and that I'm going to do this um, out of obedience to the Lord. And at the end of that one year, I, I came to love the DA's office so much. I stayed for the next decade and, and only really left because the Lord opened another door. But nothing changed aside from my attitude. Yeah, I think that that principle of uh, this, you know, what is the source of your disappointment? That, and that's, Carlos, what you're speaking to. That's such a key question because oftentimes in life, it, it's easy to to feel disappointed because my expectations have not been yet have not been met and yet that betrays a mentality that is completely focused in the wrong spot because we should not be so much focused on our own expectations as we are focused on the expectations that the Lord has for us where he has placed us so the key question is not have my expectations been met the key question is, have I met God's expectations for where I am? So just, I think those are some very helpful thoughts from you men as we're thinking through just these very practical life questions, okay? Last question here. Um, looking, looking back over your life, what would you say is the um, event or events, um, and maybe give us the top two or three, that have shaped you and caused you to become the man that you are today? Well, uh, I'll go first here. That's fine. Uh, moving to California and being a part of Grace Community Church, uh, I never anticipated that in a million years. That was just not on the radar. I was headed from the Midwest to two other seminaries praying that God would just accept me to one and I'll go there. It was Vietnam War Day, so if you didn't go on to seminary, you'd be drafted. Uh, and God opened the, shut those doors. Well, he really didn't shut them, but he opened up a door here. And uh, I came thinking I would do three years of seminary and be out of here. And suddenly it's 48 years later, and I'm still here. Uh, it's just amazing to see what God, how God led in our lives. And we look back and say, wow, that's incredible. Uh, you know, you, you take out the, the obvious uh, salvation and then marriage. But I, I would agree with Irv. When Grace and I came here 17 years ago, we were supposed to stay one year and then leave um, and go back out into the Korean ministry and, and minister back there. We've never left because Grace Community Church has been life-altering. I don't think anything has altered my life as much. You know, you take salvation, you take marriage. And aside from that, nothing has altered my life more than Grace Community Church. And, you know, in certain ways, unless you have been at other churches, you truly do not, cannot appreciate what a special place this is. It is unique in the world. Um, so this place has been life-altering. And that's because of the truth that is preached and then the people who live out the truth. Yeah. I'd say there's there's kind of three I covered briefly. I mean, but they were all started uh, as part of a, a faithful friend coming into my life and really seeing something in my life that maybe I didn't see. Um, the first one was when I was in high school, um, you know, I started attending a Bible study. I'd, I'd grown up in the church, so I, I was 
consider myself a very religious uh, person and um, and maybe in a prideful, pharisaical way almost. And I started attending this Bible study, and I remember the, the, the Bible study leader, who was also a coach on our volleyball team, called me on the phone one day and said, Brad, you know, you're falling short. I'm like, what? I'm falling short? What? You, you got to be kidding me. Uh, you know, I'm, I am the most religious guy I know, and how could I be falling short? <laughs> and, um, and he said, you, you know, you're not pursuing God with all your heart. You're not pursuing God with all your heart. You've got to go for it. I still remember that conversation because it, first of all, I, I sort of had a little bit of a animosity towards him. Like, how could you dare accuse me of not going for it? And, um, and then I, but I, it stuck with me that I wasn't, I wasn't going for it. I, you know, and I don't know if that was the time I actually accepted Christ, but I know I wasn't following him with all my heart at that point. You know, I might have known the head knowledge about Christ, but he challenged me. And, and that was about when I was going off to college and I, I made a resolution to join the Christian fraternity there and started coming to grace. And, um, and that, that really kind of turned my life around. Again, it, you could say it's maybe a salvation moment, but it, it definitely was uh, the guy confronting me. The second, the second one was, we were at Grace. Susan and I were at Grace, and um, uh, one of the leaders in uh, um, Marriage Builders came over to us one time. He said, "Hey, Brad, I wanted to talk to you." And he said, uh, "Hey, you know, we uh, your name came up for a, a discussion and leadership here in Marriage Builders, and." Um, you know, I wanted to let you know that I, I said no to that. I didn't, I didn't, I said, you're not qualified to be a leader here. And I, and I, again, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? We're not qualified. You know, Susan was the president of her sorority. I mean, how could we not be qualified to be leaders here at Grace? You're a little fellowship group. What are you talking about? And then, and then, uh, then I kind of said, and he said, you're just not faithful enough. And so we, at that point, then we said we made a resolution, you know, that he was right. You know, we were, we kind of come in, we come, you know, we were still living the good life, you know, and still kind of coming off our high, being married. And, you know, we really had to settle down. And then we got involved in discipleship evangelism at that point and really learned to share our, our faith. And we uh, were able to disciple others. Through that. So I really look at that as kind of a, um, a turning point um, in our whole uh, ministry was um, um, just that confrontation um, that that uh, that he made. I still I still remember it to this day. Anytime I uh, I think about you know our ministry, I think about that. And um, uh, so I think those two. I mean, I had another one where I was in college, um, and I, I remember uh, my sophomore year. Uh, you know, that's sort of when I met Susan. Uh, the grades were starting to tumble, and I had you know girl problems because uh, I had one girlfriend was trying to dump her and get over with Susan. And of course, Susan had all kinds of boyfriends. And so I had all these problems in my life trying to get sorted out. So I, I went from being in the honors program to get kicked out of the honors program. My dad sat me down at the end of the year and said, hey, Brad, this isn't you. You know, this is not you. You know, you got to get your act together. And then that that kind of turned. I got things straightened out with Susan. And then uh, and uh, then I got straight A's for the rest of the college. So it was, it, it was, but it was one of those things where, you know, you needed someone to come alongside you that, that iron sharpens iron, the, the faithful wounds of a friend that really, you know, created that impetus in my life to, to make a change. So. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you men for sharing your wisdom with us. Very, very grateful.
Brad, can you just close our time with a word of prayer? Okay. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just so thankful as we remember this day, Resurrection Sunday. What a glorious gift that was to us for your son coming down to die for us, Lord, to take our sins upon him, Lord. We don't even, we can't even imagine the burden and the weight, the pain that that caused you, Lord. But we're so thankful. We're so very thankful that you reached out to us, Lord, that you saved us. You give us the hope of eternal life. Lord, help us to make that sacrifice count in our lives, that we would each day live for you, that we would share you with others, Lord, that we would set an example for others in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we go through this journey of life, that you would continue to teach us what you would have us to teach us, align us to your word, Uh, help us to examine our lives and see where we fall short, help other friends and and uh, good brothers and sisters to come alongside us, Lord, and, and, and help us to align ourselves with your will and to be more like Christ and follow his example. We just look forward to just a great time with family and friends today, just celebrating the glory of your resurrection. And we lift this all up in his name. Amen.